as we've already said, this is the first Sunday of the Lenten season, and this past week was Ash Wednesday, which, as you know, weirdly fell on Valentine's, which was odd. And I was getting Josephine uh, dressed for school in this ridiculously fancy dress that she just had to wear to her school party, as they do, you know. And she says to me with this, like, contented sigh, she says, Mom, today it's pizza party day, it's Valentine's Day, and it's Ash Wednesday. What a wonderful Wednesday. Now, I am not sure um, Ash Wednesday and the subsequent season of Lent could be described as wonderful exactly. Um, no one has ever wished me a happy Ash Wednesday or have a merry Lenten season, right? That, that's not a thing. Um, not because it's not valuable and good, but because it's kind of a difficult season as we intentionally lay down those things that might be misshaping our hearts or taking captive our freedom in Christ and instead pick up new things like the spiritual disciplines we talked about this morning. It's good stuff, but it's kind of like exercise. It's hard and uncomfortable and it makes you kind of sweaty. And the results are slow coming, but ultimately it's life-giving, right? Well, for this season, we are going to be in the Gospel of Mark. Pastor Tommy and I will both be preaching from this Gospel. So if you want to go ahead and turn there this morning, you can. Uh, Chapter 1. I really like Mark's Gospel. I really do. It's probably one of the earliest writings we have about Jesus after his death and resurrection and ascension. And the author is in a real hurry to get his point across, which, as a person who speaks chronically fast, I totally appreciate, right? And the thing is, Mark is in such a hurry. There isn't even a Christmas. There's not even a birth narrative in Mark. He skips over Christmas entirely and jumps right into the deep end with John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness. Now, Mark is going to draw on lots of imagery and images and stuff and themes from the, new, uh, from the Old Testament. And, but not like Matthew. He's not like throwing in a bunch of Old Testament quotes, but rather these big themes like new creation and the second exodus of, of God keeping his promise to write his wayward and sin-sick creation. So that's what we're going to be on the lookout for as we begin in Mark today. So Mark chapter 1, verse 9, it says this. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. And the spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts and the angels waited on him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, What literally takes Matthew two solid chapters to describe, Mark communicates in six verses. Now, that is efficiency, right? Right there. Now, everybody kind of has their own way of telling their story. Some people just tell it like it is, cut and dry, no fluff, no adjectives, no mental images needed. Others of us, perhaps maybe myself a little bit, tend to be a little bit more colorful in how they describe things, right? And use actions and words and and word pictures to describe things. Like when we lived in Italy, they say, this is said about Italians, and I think it's probably true, that if you tied their hands behind their back, they literally could not speak because they have to use their hands to talk, right? Now, it's the same with the Gospels. They each communicate the story of Jesus in different ways, with different words and different images and different emphases to tell the story of Jesus in their own way. Now, brevity, making it short and sweet, 
isn't the only unique feature of Mark, particularly his version of Jesus' baptism and temptation. Now, there are several distinctive elements that he includes that the other Gospels don't, one of the most notable, perhaps, being his vocabulary choice. Now, before Pastor Tommy falls asleep in the front pew because he's annoyed that I'm talking about vocabulary choices, let me tell you why this matters for a second. I threw you under the bus. Yes, I did. Uh, Now, hear this. You hear something on the news. There's something happens on the news. And you listen to it from two different sources. Perhaps you listen to it first from, I don't know, Fox News, perhaps. And then you go and you listen to it on MSNBC. Now, let me ask you this. Will those two, that, that exact same event be described in similar ways or radically different ways? Uh, radically different ways. Come on, let's be honest here, people. And I'm not giving you any examples because I'll get you all riled up. The reality is, is that when we have, we have a different agenda or we have a different perspective, or we're standing from a different point of view, we tell stories in different ways. And so the words we choose are important because they are communicating something essential to our message. Does that make sense? Okay, so in the story, when Matthew and Luke are telling the story of Jesus and the, the, um, the dove descends, you know, this says in Matthew and Luke, and the heavens were opened and a dove descended. And I have this image in my mind of like a beautiful door swinging open and heavenly sunshine just shooting down from the sky. Perhaps a butterfly throats, floats through the rays, right? Very gentle and beautiful and like maybe there's in the background, right? But in Mark, it's a little different. The heavens don't open. The heavens are torn open like an old bed sheet, literally torn open. It is a schism in the sky. It is a breach between heaven and earth. Now in Isaiah 64, God's people are deep in deep weeds. They are tangled and mired in their sin. They have realized they are sinners in need of a savior and they cry out to God. And what do they say? They say, oh Lord, that you would tear open the heavens and come down so that the mountains would shake at your presence. They know they have sinned. They know they have been unfaithful. And they recognize that no one is righteous, no, not one, and God alone is Lord. And so with this painful realization of their sinfulness, with their heart pulsing with that need, they cry out, God, we're in trouble. Come down, rip open the sky, break down what separates us. Reign on earth as you do in heaven, rend the heavens. Now, if you are here with us during the Advent season, this should be ringing a whole lot of bells in your head right now. Because this is the eternal cry of the human heart. The cry of our heart is to be reconnected to our creator. For the barrier between us to be breached. And so in Mark, he appropriates that same language of the sky torn in two that God might come down. Mark is telling us something very important as we begin our journey this season. He says, hey you, pay attention. God is breaking in. Hey, you, pay attention. Lift up your eyes because God is on the move in Jesus. The time has finally come for God's saving action to be unleashed in creation. And with that dramatic introduction, Jesus is 
kicked out into the wilderness, literally. Again, Mark does it weird. Mark or Matthew and Luke say, and the spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. It's like all, all gentle, like he's escorted with like police cars and such, right? But in Mark, he is literally thrown out, kind of like a baseball at a game, right? I thought about having Ethan demonstrate, but I did not want a hole in my wall. Or it reminds, it calls to mind, you know those old cartoons where they're like Mickey's in trouble and he's getting kicked out of the restaurant. He says, he throws him by his britches. He goes, and stay out. Like that's what happened to Jesus, basically. The Holy Spirit took him by the pants or the toga, I guess, and chucked him out into the wilderness. Now, the immediate thing that came to mind as I was preparing this week are um, those awful reality shows where they literally cast people into wilderness and we get to watch them struggle to survive. Have you anybody ever, there's like 17 versions of this. You have seen this. Come on. Now, my first question is, what is wrong with us that we enjoy watching this kind of shenanigans? But Tommy and I, it was when JoJo was first born and we were like in a bad way. We were not handling it well. And so we were like binge watching TV just to survive. And uh, the show we were watching was about these people who are given approximately 30 minutes of survival training. And then they were left to die, in my opinion, in the middle of Alaska. And they start out as a crew of 25, and they all get these special little panic buttons on their pants. And so if they, like, at some point, they're like, nope, I cry uncle, I can't do this, they push the button, and a helicopter literally appears out of nowhere and rescues them and whisks them away almost always to the hospital. Okay? Um, no. No, that is not the life for me. Let's be clear. Since moving to Idaho, Tommy and I have had two wildly unsuccessful camping trips. Um, on one of those trips, we actually came home a day early. It, it, it was an Ida fail, I like to call it. In our defense, in our defense, Josephine was very small. We had forgotten her toy bag, and I was pregnant with Jack, and so I was really queasy. But I know, it's still so lame. I'm ashamed, I'm ashamed. But the reality is, as we were driving home and we drove through Cascade, we stopped at Rio's Pizza. You know what I'm talking about? And I walked in the door and the smell of the pizza and I saw the bathroom in the distance with the toilet paper. And I was like, thank you, God. And I was like, I have been delivered. I have been saved. It was the best pizza of my life. Like, thank you, Jesus. Now, a few months ago when we lost power for approximately 67 and a half minutes, but who was counting? I literally said to myself, I can't live like this. I cannot live like this. The wilderness is not for me, folks. It is not. But there are lots of people, some of you even, who feel very differently about the wilderness. You know, many cultures recognize how, how formational time in the wilderness can actually be. Now, in the original, Aboriginal people of Australia, they actually have a formal practice of this, uh, traditionally called the walkabout. Have you heard of this? This is an actual thing. I Googled it. Where they take their, their, their boys from ages 10 to 16, somewhere in that window, and they train them for a period of time, hopefully longer than the 30 minutes and those poor schmucks on the Alaska show got. And uh, they have to go out into the outback and survive for like six months. Okay? That is not happening to my son. I will just let you know right now. But they are cast into the wilderness for this extended period of time during which the boys make this spiritual and physical transition to adulthood. Because you realize there is something to be said about experiencing the hard reality of the wilderness. 
the deprivation and the struggle, the insecurity and the ultimate triumph. It didn't kill me. Woo! Right? Wilderness is formational. Now, the wilderness plays an important part in the story of God. In Exodus, following God's radical deliverance of the people of God from Egyptian rule, Remember, he brings them through the Red Sea in like this most dramatic fashion of all. And then he takes them into the wilderness for kind of a long time. We're talking like a 40-year walkabout, okay? As many other preachers have said before me, you know, it took only a moment to get Israel out of Egypt, but it took 40 years to get the Egypt out of Israel. They needed that time in the wilderness because wilderness is formational. Those 40 years reshaped them. It transformed their minds and their hearts from those of slaves who had been immersed in a pagan culture with dozens of gods to being a free people serving the one true God. It was a new beginning. It was a fresh start, uh, a blank slate on which God could write their new name, my people. It was a time of testing, of them testing God like, are you going to provide? Can we trust you? But it was also a time of God testing them. Do you love me? Will you trust me? It was a time of preparation, of making them into the people that God wanted to be so they could be a light to the world, so all nations could come to know God through them. Wilderness is formational. It's difficult, and it's unsettling, and it's disorienting, but it has the power to transform and to bind hearts together. In a lot of ways, it reminds me of those first few months or even years of marriage. Now, no one has ever described to me marriage as a wilderness, but think about it for a second. It's brand new territory. It's a time of hope and of new beginnings, and of being reshaped. And you're not single anymore. You can't just think, what does Stephanie want? You have now become a we, a unit, on a mission to bring about God's glory through your life. And all those bumps and those crashes of that first year, maybe with a a dash of newlywed poverty sprinkled on top, has the power to bind hearts together. Now, you've heard this probably before, but when Tommy and I first got married, I was still in college. I was a senior, and he worked for this horrible company. It was horrible. It's called 1-800-GOT-JUNK, and he would basically go to rich people's houses who were too lazy to throw away their trash, and he would haul it away in his truck. But their trash was my treasure, so we, like, furnished our house with old people's junk. It was awesome. And so he was working the junk, we called it, and I was working Starbucks because uh, health insurance, uh, I needed it, right, and free coffee. But um, looking back, I have no idea how we made ends meet at all. I have no idea how. I had no idea how to cook, but if you have known me for any period of time, you know that when I do something, I don't kind of do something. I, like, do all the things, right? And so when I was going to learn to cook, I was going to learn to cook. And I would spend, like, half of our paycheck on food to make these, like, extravagant meals. I distinctly remember buying an $8 bottle of cherry juice for a recipe, and then I dropped it on the concrete, and it shattered, and I wept for like an hour at the waist. And our apartment, oh, the apartment, it wasn't just small. It was subterranean. 
So if you look out the window, you would see approximately four feet of concrete and about six inches of sunlight, which if you did not know, is the ideal living conditions for a person with depression. It's ideal. To look at it, like, I, am, I live in a bunker. Thank you, Jesus. And eight months into the whole thing, we uproot our tiny little life, and we go and live in Italy on raised funds for a year to serve the church, approximately one zillion miles from anyone we knew, all by our little lonesome, our wilderness. But wilderness is formational. It reformed us from two separate people into a family. It shaped the me and the you into a we. It tested us and it prepared us for this vocational life that God had for us. And in spite of the poverty and the newlywed tiffs and the broken bottles of cherry juice and the painful process of dying to oneself for the sake of the beloved, we emerged from that time united in a different way. You know, and in the same way, Israel emerges from the wilderness transformed. They too are united to God in a new way, married to God, bound to God in a new way. And in Deuteronomy, right before they're finally about to enter the promised land, Moses speaks to them and he calls them to remember the wilderness. Do not forget the journey, how God reshaped you and reformed you and set you free to be wholly his. And so Moses says, hear what Moses said, He says, as this is how he worked Egypt out from under the fingernails and set them free. Moses says, the entire commandment I command to you today, you must diligently observe so that you may increase, live and increase and go in and occupy the land the Lord promised, an oath to your ancestors. Remember the long way that the Lord has led you these 40 years in the wilderness in order to humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. He humbled you by letting you hunger, then by feeding you with manna, with which neither you nor your ancestors were acquainted, in order to make you understand that one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. The clothes on your back did not wear out, and your feet did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a parent disciplines a child, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Therefore, keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land that is flowing with streams, with springs and underground waters welling up in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land where you may eat bread without scarcity where you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and from whose hills you may mine copper. You shall eat your fill and bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. But take care that you do not forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his commandments, his ordinances, his statutes, which I am commanding you today. Do not forget. Remember, remember who you are. Remember whose you are. Oh, but we are a forgetful bunch, aren't we? (laughs) Israel forgot within a generation. That precious fellowship that they had with God from their their hard-fought journey in the wilderness, from lack of care and attention, that bond they had withered like a vine in the sun. In 
the same way that that bond of that honeymoon season, that deep unity that is achieved in the wilderness of early marriage as it is weakened by being hammered repeatedly by the weight of bills and of diapers and of sleepless nights and of disappointments and heartaches and betrayal, the weight of our sin. So too, the bond between Israel and God frayed like an old rope because Israel rebelled. Worshiping other gods and neglecting the boundaries that God had given them, betraying that sacred covenant and the hard-fought bond of the wilderness is a faded, distant memory. And God becomes like a scorned husband, reaching out with tears streaming down his face to a wife that has been unfaithful. In the book of Hosea, God uses this exact imagery through his prophet. In chapter 2, God is speaking of his beloved and of his heartbreak and how, how angry and how sad he is at the forgetfulness of Israel. How she forgot him. How she forgot his generous provision. But then in verse 14, it says this, and it's so unexpected. God says, therefore, in light of all of her betrayal, I will now persuade her and I will bring her into the wilderness and I will speak tenderly to her. The wilderness, the place of danger and scorpions and scarcity, sounds like a terrible place for an anniversary trip. But no, wilderness is also the place of hope. It is the place of new beginnings, of cleansing. Remember how God worked Egypt out from underneath their fingernails to serve him. It is a place of testing, of reaffirmation, of vows, a renewal of commitments. And so when the excess and the distraction of life is stripped away, when it's just God and God's people in the wilderness, perhaps maybe a new path can be forged. Because wilderness is formational. And this call to the wilderness in the Old Testament, it continues to grow as God's longing for his people grows. His passion deepens. God is on the move, ready to restore what has been torn down as he longs for that fellowship of the wilderness. In Isaiah 40, God saying, I'm on the move. He says, comfort, comfort, all my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Have you heard that before? The words spoken from the mouth of John the Baptist. Get ready. God's on the move. Forget your sinful ways. Remember me, your God. I will make a way for you, and I will send a rescuer, my servant. And so he goes on in chapter 42. He says, here is my servant whom I'm uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. Skipping to verse 9. See, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they even spring up, I tell you of them. God is making a promise. A promise of a vibrant future of forgiveness and restoration that is forged through the wilderness. And so in Mark, when the heavens are torn open, God making a breach between heaven and earth. Jesus, the ultimate embodiment of the servant, enters the scene and he begins. How does Jesus begin? Not by preaching, 
not by healing, not by cleansing a bunch of leopards to turn the water to wine. He begins by being cast out into the wilderness to prepare for his vocation, to try and test God's provision and to find God to be extravagantly enough to affirm his identity as God's beloved son. Beasts may roam and the enemy himself may challenge, but God is with him. Remember, wilderness is formational. And so Jesus emerges ready to fulfill his calling as God's rescuer. He goes and he calls his disciples and they get to work freeing people from demons and healing the sick and preaching to the masses and cleansing the leopards. He feeds and he heals and he restores and he preaches, all pointing to what Isaiah said. Behold, I am doing something new. Watch it spring forth. I am about to do a new thing. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness. I will make a river in the desert. These healings, these signs, these words, they all point to the new promised land, the new creation, the place of God's good intention for us of forgiveness, of healing and restoration. But it all would have been impossible without the wilderness. That inhospitable, dry, frightening, uncomfortable place in which Jesus was prepared and shaped and bound to the Father in a new way. And so, too, for us. The call of this Lenten season is a call to the wilderness. We, like Israel, are forgetful people. In the noise and the chaos and the hustle of our lives, We forget the God who calls us by name. As a husband and wife find themselves holding the frayed ends of the rope of their marriage, wondering, how did we get here? How did the stuff of our life, the ordinary stuff, worm its way between us? So too we pause and reflect on our connection to the Father. On Ash Wednesday or on this, the first Sunday of Lent, we reflect on the bond between us and God and perhaps to find ourselves holding the frayed ends of a rope, wondering how did we get here so far and so cold, so disconnected. But as Pastor Tommy already said, the enemy doesn't get the last word. Grace bats last. Because Jesus is calling. He is calling us to the wilderness this Lenten season. He is calling us to set aside the excess, to set aside the distraction, to set aside the noise. He is calling us instead to come out. Come out, my beloved, into the wilderness. Let me remind you who I am. I am your gracious, forgiving, providing Savior. And let me remind you who you are. You are my beloved. You are my creation. You are called to join me in my good work of redemption. So come out to me. Come out to the wilderness and let me show myself faithful. So this season of Lent, the call has been extended to us to enter the wilderness, to repent to turn from sin and turn to Jesus. 
It's a call to be reshaped by the gentle hands of God. It's a call to hope. It's a call to new beginnings. It is a call to say yes to God's preparing work in your life that you might be ready for whatever comes next of God calling you to join in this mission of redemption. Wilderness is uncomfortable, guys. It is dry and it is dusty and it is unrelenting and there is no pizza. But the wilderness is formational. If we will allow God to reshape us into who he is calling us to be, new creation people. So come out, beloved. Come out to the wilderness. We're going to respond this morning with a song we sang on Ash Wednesday. It says, come ye sinners. And it's a call to each one of us. Come to the source. Come out of the chaos. Come out and enter the wilderness to be with our Savior, that our hearts might be bound in a new way. Let's respond. Father God, we hear your call today. Your call to come out to the wilderness, to set aside the chaos, the noise, and the distractions, stuff that's not necessarily bad, but that can sometimes capture our attention. And Lord, we want to fix our attention on you this season. We want to prepare our hearts rightly to till the soil of our hearts that the plant of your transformational holiness might grow. Lord, as you called Israel forth, and as you dug the, the Egypt out from under their fingernails, Lord, we ask that you would do the same in us, that you would dig out the idolatry, the rebellion, the apathy, that we might follow you more faithfully. And Lord, we recognize you do not call us to do something that you are not ready and willing to equip us to do. So as we go forth into this season, we recognize we do so not alone, but powered, empowered, and energized by your spirit, giving us the will and the power to obey. So Lord, would you be with us this season as we come out into the wilderness with you? Would you shape us more rightly into the image of your son, Jesus? We ask all of this in the precious son's name and by the power of that same spirit. Amen. Beloved, would you stand to receive the benediction today? Would you extend your hands? Beloved, Christ Church, may you heed the call to come out. Come out into the wilderness where God might shape you more more faithfully. Heed the word of the Lord. Go in action and go in peace. You are dismissed. Amen.